Today on the Matt Wall Show, the left detects Nazi symbolism at CPAC. There really are Nazis everywhere with these people. What, is, what, is that, what does that tell us exactly? We'll talk about that today. Also, five headlines, including a brave congressman standing up against the mask cultists. Public health officials in Canada recommending solitary confinement for all children exposed to COVID. And LeBron James bravely vowing to continue speaking out against all injustices that happen anywhere but in China. Plus, our daily cancellation and much more today on the Matt Wall Show. I have to admit, I'm a big procrastinator myself. I procrastinate on pretty much everything. But there, there are some things that you don't want to procrastinate on because when it's too late, it's too late. One of those things is life insurance. You don't want to procrastinate with that. You got to get life insurance. And, you know, spring. Spring is upon us. And I think it's the perfect time to start thinking about tidying things up, taking care of things you haven't taken care of before. Policy Genius can help with all of that. They'll help you to compare top insurers in one place and save 50% or more while you do it. Once you find your best option, the Policy Genius team will set up your new policy for you and answer any questions you have along the way. So here's how you get started. Pretty simple. First, you head to policygenius.com. In minutes, you can work out how much coverage you need, compare quotes to find your best um, price. Policy Genius makes it easy to compare policies from as little as $15 a month. You might even be eligible to skip the in-person medical exam. You can't know until you go to policygenius.com to figure it out. Since their licensed agents work for you, not the insurance companies, there's zero hassle. They're going to get you the best price they possibly can. And that's why Policy Genius has earned a five-star rating across thousands of reviews on Trustpilot and Google. So while you're tidying up around the house this spring, why not get your life insurance organized too? Now's the time to do it. You could save 50% or more by comparing quotes and feel good knowing that, that if something happens, your loved ones will be taken care of. So go to policygenius.com to get started. Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. So CPAC, the annual conservative confab, happened this past weekend, usually in the D.C. area. This time it was held in Florida. Several controversies erupted out of the gathering this year, as can be expected, but none more important or disturbing than the revelation, as exposed by a great many left-wing media outlets and journalists online, that the entire CPAC stage in the main event hall was really a giant secret Nazi symbol. According to the conspiracy theorists, who are the good kind of conspiracy theorists, remember, not the bad kind. According to them, the stage was, in effect, a dog whistle, a message to the underground army of white supremacist Nazis in this country. It was a sort of bat signal, you might say, if Batman was a Nazi. And frankly, given that he was rich and white, he probably was a Nazi, come to think of it. In any event, many frantic tweets um, like this one were sent out on Saturday. This is from a guy named Ben Jackson who writes for a number of media outlets, and he said, this is the CPAC stage designed below. It is a rune which was used by the SS. This is the stage from which Ted Cruz screeched freedom. Now, Elise Hoag, who's the president of NARAL, a militant pro-abortion organization, chimed in and said, the CPAC stage resembles a known SS Nazi insignia. Generously, let's assume the design was an error. They should immediately release an apology and change up the stage. Not doing so will convey the most reprehensible intent. Ah, uh, okay. All right. Well, all they have to do is literally tear down their stage and rebuild it in the middle of the event. If they don't do that, then they're Nazis. So what's it going to be, CPAC? Are you going to call in a construction crew and rebuild your stage while President Trump is standing on it to speak? Or will you admit you're Nazis? Those are your two choices. Checkmate. Now, here's Slate with uh, more information about the Nazi stage. They say, quote, Matt Schlapp, the head of the American Conservative Union, 
who organizes the uh, Conservative Political Action Conference, is pushing back against those who said that the stage for the event that is taking place in Orlando is eerily reminiscent to a Nazi symbol. Quote, stage design conspiracies are outrageous and slanderous, Schlapp tweeted. He went on to say that CPAC proudly stands with our Jewish allies. The fact that Schlapp felt the need to comment on the issue illustrates just how pervasive the comparisons had become on social media, as many pointed out that the shape of the stage looked like a Nazi symbol. Specifically, many said the stage looked like a version of the Odal rune, also referred to as the Othala rune. The symbol dates back centuries, but was also used by some Nazi SS divisions during World War II. The symbol was emblazoned on uniforms of some Nazi soldiers. Okay, there you go. The stage looked like the Othala rune, which was used by some Nazi SS divisions in World War II. What, you didn't, you didn't know what the Othala rune was and had no idea that this seemingly innocuous shape was associated with it? And what's that? You, you have not memorized every shape and insignia that appeared on every uniform of every Nazi division? Well, that's only because you're a Nazi yourself. Or, wait a second, maybe that doesn't make any sense. See, personally, I saw the CPAC stage and thought nothing of it because I'm not an expert on obscure Nazi symbolism. A lot of leftists apparently are such experts or pretend to be, which leaves us with two options. Either these these people spend a lot of time studying Nazis and Nazi symbolism and are super into it, which raises all kinds of suspicions if you ask me. Or more likely, almost all of them had no idea that this shape had anything to do with the Nazis, but then they learned about it on Twitter and immediately decided that it was impossible that the CPAC organizers could have been as ignorant as they were on the subject. This is a common move on the internet, of course, not just people, you know, accusing people of being Nazis, that's common, but also the thing where you learn about something and then five seconds later, you're mocking everybody else for not knowing the thing that you also didn't know prior to five seconds ago. But the whole controversy does raise two points. Um, First of all, though I know that pointing out double standards from the left seems rather fruitless at this point, I do have to make this observation. These people just a few weeks ago were canceling Gina Carano for making a Nazi comparison. And now here they are comparing the CPAC stage designers to Nazis because the shape vaguely resembles an old Nordic symbol that some SS divisions briefly used on their uniforms 80 years ago. So we're, we're used to the hypocrisy, of course, but this is egregious even by left-wing standards. Second, it's worth reflecting on the fact that the people accusing CPAC of intentionally setting up its stage to look like a Nazi symbol are not all being disingenuous. I mean, certainly a portion of them are. Some of them know how ridiculous the claim is and are saying it anyway. Good old-fashioned political slander. But the really disturbing and also kind of remarkable thing is that many of these people truly believe it. They truly believe that the CPAC stage was a Nazi symbol because they truly believe that CPAC itself is a Nazi gathering and that conservatives in general are mostly Nazis. I know we're used to this also by now, but but, but think about it. Really think about it. If you're a conservative, a sizable number of your ideological opponents, honest to God, believe that you are an actual Nazi or Nazi sympathizer. The people putting this idea into their heads, they know better. But the average dupe doesn't. They believe it. They believe that they are in a fight against literal Nazis. You know that I'm I'm highly skeptical that there can ever be unity in this country again. 
in general, I'm skeptical of that. But if it's going to happen, if there's any hope of it happening, it would have to start bare minimum with the left acknowledging that their political opponents are not actual Nazis. I mean, we couldn't unify simply based on that fact alone. We can't say like, yay, we're all not Nazis. Let's unite. There needs to be more to it than that. But admitting that your opponents are not Nazis is certainly a necessary first step. And on the left, even that step is too much. Even that is a bridge too far. Even that is more ground than they are willing to concede. And hopefully, if nothing else, this will put into perspective our chances of ever having unity at all in this country. Now let's get to our five headlines. A little more CPAC news. This was interesting. I thought the CPAC straw poll, attendees at the event, um, and remember, of course, these are self-selected conservative activists, so not a true cross-section of Republicans generally, but, uh, but even so. Um, attendees, according to the poll, they, for, for 2024 right now, they like Trump by 55%. So 55% said they would want to see Trump as, as the nominee. Um, 21% said DeSantis, and then Nome was 4%, and then everybody else was. So it's like Trump, and then a wide margin, DeSantis, another huge margin, and then Nome, and then another pretty big margin, and then everybody else. Um, now, if Trump is not an option, then they like DeSantis with 43%, putting him way far ahead of the rest of the pack. And then Nome would come in second, and then and then everybody else. Um, you know, I, probably you take it all with a grain of salt because we're, you know, three, four years away from, from any of this really making a difference. And a lot can happen in the next three to four years. Uh, so trying to predict, you know, four years out, trying to... De- trying to predict who's going to be the nominee. It's kind of like if you go to, if you watch ESPN right now and uh, they're trying to fill time, but if you watch the NFL shows on ESPN right now, they're trying to fill time and they're predicting even before the NFL draft, who the Super Bowl winner is going to be in, uh, in 2022. Um, it's, it's, it's a little bit absurd, but if we are going to take anything from this, um, I would have to say that this is really good news for DeSantis, not surprising news. And they all, they are in Florida. Keep that in mind too. But, um, good news for DeSantis, not great news for Trump. If, if there's anything surprising about this, only 55% at CPAC said they want to see Trump as the nominee. Now, what that tells me is um, if this were to hold hold up, then obviously Trump, if, you're, if he runs for the nomination, he's going to get it. And it's, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Yeah, a lot can happen in three or four years, but I don't see, like, there's nothing that could happen that would stop that. If he runs, he's going to get the nomination. But this would seem to indicate that the excitement level is considerably dwindled. You know, if, and, if, and if there's, you know, 15, 20, 30 uh, percent, and, and just because 55 percent are saying they would vote for Trump, that doesn't mean that that 45 percent wouldn't want to see him. But even if it is like 15, 20, 30 percent, something like that that wouldn't want to see Trump as the nominee, that are that are that would be against that. Um, this just goes to my point that, you know, I I, I really like, I, I think DeSantis, you know, we start, there, there are other talents on the right. Maybe not a lot of them. There aren't a lot. The Republican Party doesn't have a lot of political talent right now, but it does have some. 
DeSantis definitely being one of them. I think we should really think about getting younger, getting some fresh blood in there. You know, someone who doesn't have all the same baggage. I think we should really think about that. Uh, More from CPAC. This is from the Daily Wire. It says, conservatives have the right to gather and peacefully express their views. Hyatt Hotel said on Friday, the hotel chain began facing blowback from left-wing activists last week for allowing this year's CPAC to be held at the Hyatt Regency in Orlando. Uh, so they were getting a lot of blowback and, and uh, you know, the left was demanding that they, you know, maybe shut down the event or something like that because uh, it's, you're, you're hosting Nazis after all. And this is what Hyatt said in a statement to Fox Business. They said, we take pride in operating a highly inclusive environment and we believe that the facilitation of gatherings is a central element of what we do as a hospitality company. We believe in the right of individuals and organizations to peacefully express their views, independent of the degree to which the perspectives of those hosting meetings and events at our hotels align with ours. Uh, Our own values support a culture that is characterized by empathy, respect, and diversity of opinions and backgrounds, and we strive to bring this to light through what we do and how we engage with those in our care. Now, so it it seemed like, and when I was first planning to talk about this, I thought, okay, I'm going to give, I can give Hyatt Hotels some props here. Because they stood up to the to the woke mob, uh, kind of given a little bit of a, a blueprint to other companies. Because this is this is the thing with so many corporations and companies, they'll collapse in the face of the woke mob for no real reason. Because nobody's gonna. It's CPAC is already over. Nobody cares about it. You know the, the leftists who are saying they're gonna boycott and all this stuff. A, a week from now, are they gonna be talking about Hyatt anymore? Most of the time when the mob's coming after you, especially if you're a major corporation, you've got billions of dollars, all you got to do is wait them out most of the time, and they're going to move on. So I was going to give Hyatt credit for this because they were showing that's all you have to do. Ignore them and say, listen, we're, we're, you know, we're a company where we hosted a gathering. That's it. A week from now, nobody cares. But then I saw this from TMZ. This is this morning. Um, Hyatt... Originally, they had responded to the controversy over the fact that they were simply hosting CPAC at all. But then all this this ridiculous stuff about the stage design being a Nazi symbol came up. And here's Hyatt responding to that. Uh, It says, we take the concern raised about the prospect of symbols of hate being included in the stage design at CPAC 2021 very seriously, as all such symbols are abhorrent and unequivocally counter to our values as a company. The CPAC 2020 event is hosted and managed by the American Conservative Union that manages all aspects of event logistics, including the stage design and aesthetics. We discussed directly with ACOU leadership who told us that any resemblance to a symbol of hate is unintentional. We will continue to stay in dialogue with event organizers regarding our deep concerns. Any further questions can be directed to CPAC. They're going to stay in dialogue about whether the stage was supposed to be a Nazi symbol. How much much further can the dialogue go? Like, I don't know. You ask the question, hey, did you, were you intentionally trying to make this stage look like an old Nordic symbol that also was associated with Nazis? Uh, no, we weren't. Okay. I don't know where you go with that dialogue. But it sounds like Hyatt, because of this, they withstood the mob for like a day. And because of this dumb Nazi symbol controversy, now they're, they're gearing up to, to uh, fold to the mob and... Maybe the next couple of days we'll see the official distancing and, and condemning and all this kind of stuff. All right, number two, I have to play this because, well, it's just pretty hilarious. Here's our friend, our dear friend, Brian Stelter on CNN, um, talking about potatoes 
and other subjects that he knows well. Let's let's listen. Then why was Mr. Potato Head mentioned 35 times on Fox News and Fox Business this week? 35 times! Well, the answer is because it's easy. It's cheap. It's really easy to do. But it's so distracting. Potato Head distracts from the suffering so many people are going through. The Muppets controversy distracts from dire inequality. This stuff gets hyped up and passed around, mostly on Twitter, where lots of reporters, myself included, spend way too much time. And the risk is that it warps our judgment and makes sidebar stories seem so much more important than they really are. And that causes even more chatter. And that's how you wind up with Janine Pirro walking around CPAC asking people, have you seen Hunter Biden? Like she's a bad meme come to life. On Friday, I was about to go get dinner for my kids when Donald Trump Jr. attacked me in his speech at CPAC. Um, something about me looking like a gender-neutral potato head. And then the tweets started rolling in on my computer, people telling me about Donnie Jr. insulting me. And I thought of some really cutting responses, some really clever ways to reply, some way to go viral. But then I stopped. I didn't post anything. It was just another distraction. He wanted me to respond. This was just more BS fuel for the culture war. And it does not matter. It does. He does look like a gender-neutral potato, doesn't he? That's a good line. It's a general rule here. If someone has a good line against you, don't repeat it. uh, Because it sounds even funnier when you repeat it. And come to think of it, he does look a lot like a gender-neutral... I don't don't mean it as an insult. It's it's simply an observation, that's all. It's not necessarily bad to look like a gender-neutral potato. There there are worse things you could look like. Um... But he, he had, but Brian Stelter had a great response. He, he had a great comeback, and 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 he he, he and he, he could have, he could have said it, but he he was too big a man for that. That's all. You know, I'm too big. I'm too big a man. I, I got the greatest. I could I could take you down right now with my wit, but um, I'm 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 too mature, so I'm not going to. I could, but I won't. Yeah, sure. And of course, the point he's making here is about the potato head and the, the, the Muppet disclaimer and all that. This is all distraction. It's a, it's a silly culture war. Why do you care about this? This is one of the tried and true tactics of the left. This is what they're always doing. This is one of their, their primary strategies. It's um, they make a big deal about something. And then if we respond to it, you know, they, they do something, make a big deal about it. And if we object, then rather than defend what they're doing, they'll say, why do you care about this? What do you care about this for? So they'll do a certain thing, throw a, a, literal, a literal parade in the street, say, look, everybody, look at this amazing thing we're doing. And if you stand off to the side and simply say, you know, I'm not a big fan of that, actually. What do you make such a big deal about this for? They're up on the parade float accusing you of making a big deal about it. That's, that's the way it goes with pretty much everything. That, that's the way they fight the culture war. And that's how they often get away with fighting it while pretending they're not fighting it at all. All they do is fight the culture war, but then claim that on the right, all we do is fight the culture war. And they're, they're too busy and they, they don't care about these issues at all. Now, the potato head thing was, I think everybody, pretty much everyone was simply making fun of it. It's, I don't think anyone was taking that issue very seriously. Um, the Muppet thing, though, 
Now, this is Disney Plus. This is Disney. Major, major corporation. Billions and billions of dollars. Um, they've, they are the ones. It wasn't, we didn't do this. The Disney Corporation. They're the ones who decided to make a big deal out of the Muppets. Such a big deal that they thought it needed a disclaimer before you watch this, a show about puppets. They needed to put this lengthy, dramatic disclaimer on it. So who's the one making a big deal about the Muppets? Is, is it, is it, is it the, the group that's putting the disclaimer on it? Or is it the people who are simply saying, well, that's, that's ridiculous, that's silly. Well, this is the, this is the strategy. And they get away with it most of the time. They really do. Number three, this is great stuff from Congressman Byron Donalds, who I admit I'd never heard of until now, but I'm almost ready to elect him president based on this alone. Maybe he should be in the CPAC straw poll. I don't know. But uh, I don't know anything else about him except for this little uh, speech he gave to, to, to the media earlier today. Let's listen. Hey, good evening. Byron Donalds, member of Congress from the great state of Florida, Congressional District 19. And for our friends in the media, I do want to apologize. I actually left my mask in my office. Why do I bring that up? Because it's important that in our capital, we start talking about the things that are real and not the things that are fake. You see, I already had COVID-19. The attending physician in this very capital gave me the antibody test last week. I still have it. I'm not spreading anything. I forgot my mask. The reality is, if you have antibodies, you're actually okay. The other reality is, is that the President of the United States, the Vice President of the United States, the Speaker of the House, have all been inoculated. They have the vaccine, but they still wear their mask anyway. The reason they do this is because Washington is accustomed to fan dances. Washington is accustomed to doing fake things that don't matter. That's great. I mean, and that, that it shouldn't take courage, shouldn't take political courage to say what he said there and to do what he's doing, which is to not wearing the mask. Uh, but it does. It, it, it does take political courage. And this is exactly what we need. We need visible people, um, people in positions of leadership to stop wearing the mask, especially if they already had it, if they had the vaccine, you know, if they're in that group, especially don't wear it. And not just people in positions of leadership, but people generally in society. Now, I personally, as I've said all along, I don't think that anyone should be forced to wear the mask in general. But if you've already had, I mean, there are tens of millions of people in this country who've already had the virus and then millions more now who, who have the vaccine. Why should you wear it if you're in that category? So I would say if you're in that category, you should just not wear it. And if anyone tells you to wear it, have them explain why. Say, oh, no, I, I got the antibodies. Why should I wear it? Maybe ask them to explain to you why exactly should I. But let, let's, not, let's not talk about the mask in general terms, okay? We're not talking about everybody. Me, as someone who's, who I have the antibodies, why should I wear it? Tell me why. Give me a good scientific reason why I should. Won't be able to do it. So this is exactly what needs to happen. All right, number four, the uh, Toronto Sun has infuriating news, really putting it mildly. This is out of Canada. It says, Peel Health has issued guidelines to parents 
instructing them to keep any children who've been sent home because a classmate has tested positive for COVID-19 isolated a separate room from all other family members for 14 days. Now, these are not even sick kids, kids who are in a class with a kid who is sick, isolated in solitary confinement in their homes for 14 days. Uh, the severe guidelines, which apply even to small children who are dismissed from childcare, are being criticized by experts as harmful and not supported by science. This is cruel punishment for a child. This is Dr. Suzanne Richardson uh, says, uh, cruel punishment for a child, especially for younger children, four to 10 years old. Shutting a child off from their parents and siblings for up to 14 days in this manner could produce significant and long-lasting emotional and psychological effects. Well, yeah. Uh, the article says the handout distributed at Peel Region Schools explains if your child does not have any symptoms, the child must self-isolate, which means stay in a separate room, eat in a separate room apart from others, use a separate bathroom if possible. The handout also says if the child must leave their room, they should wear a mask and stay two meters apart from any from others. Any other children in the household not only uh, must be both separated from their siblings, but also stay home for 14 days. Now, I can't even keep reading this. It, it, it is that uh, infuriating to me. If you would actually do this to your child, put them in solitary confinement, isolate them. This is what they're talking about. In a separate room for two weeks, no physical contact with anyone in the family. I mean, you can't even do this to prisoners. This would be considered human rights abuse if you did it to a prisoner. You do it to your child. If you would do that to your child because you're afraid they're going to get you sick, then you do. And, and I do not say this lightly, but you do not deserve to have children. You should have your children taken from you. You should be in, you should be in prison yourself. You should be the one in solitary confinement. If you would do that to your kid. There is no excuse for it. I don't care. I, I, I don't, I don't want to hear the excuse. Yeah, I mean, you could tell me that, you, you know, you have pre-existing conditions and all this kind of stuff. I, I'm, I'm sympathetic to that. But there is no excuse for doing that to your child, period. I would literally rather die. I would actually rather die. I would certainly rather uh, take the extremely minimal risk, even if it wasn't minimal. Let's say I was in a high-risk group. And they told me, well, your kid might be sick, so stick him in a room for two weeks. You know, your four-year-old child, put them in a room for two weeks by themselves. Never go closer. If they come out of the hallway, make sure they're in a mask. Never come closer than two meters from them. You know, you're high risk, and if you don't do that, you might get sick and die. My my response would be, okay, I'm going to get sick and die then, I guess. Because that is simply not an option. And the thing is, you know, you, you, you read this and you think, man, there's no way parents would actually do this. These are, these are insane, quote unquote, public health officials who don't have, who probably childless themselves, childless, alone and miserable, trying to impose their misery on everybody else. Okay. And, and, and it's, it's a, they're saying this, they're, they're detached from the issue themselves. They don't know anything about kids. They don't understand. Uh, but, but a parent, parent wouldn't actually do this. You love your child. You would never do this to them. That's what you want to think. But then if this is any judge of it, uh, or, you know, if this tells us anything, I'm looking at 
you know, the, the, the link to this article on Twitter, and I'm, I'm reading some of the comments, hundreds of comments, and many of them are from parents saying that they have done this or they, or they would do it. They're, per, they're prepared to do it. They are prepared to absolutely psychologically and emotionally devastate their children in ways that they may, may never recover from. They are prepared to do that um, in order to keep themselves safe. Every single one of these parents unfit and don't deserve to have it. They don't love their kids. You do not love your child if you would do that to your kid. Period. And this is not an exaggeration when I say lifelong damage. I mean, think about that. Yeah, when you were a kid, you were sent to your room for a couple hours, right? At, at most. I mean, usually it's, uh, you probably had to really earn, a, you know, an hour or more in your room. Um, two weeks? No, absolutely not. All right, number five, a soccer star. I think he's a star uh, named Zlatan Ibrahimovic. I don't know. Uh, anyway, he's a guy who plays soccer, and he recently said that he thinks LeBron James should shut up about politics and stick to sports. That's his opinion. I tend to agree with it. You know, I probably... Not a big soccer guy, but at least I can I can agree with that. And uh, LeBron was asked about this a couple days ago, and he had a response that made some waves for whatever reason. And here's what he said. At the end of the day, um, you know, I would never uh, shut up about things that's, um, that's wrong. Um, I, I preach about my people and I preach about, uh, you know, equality, um, social injustice, racism, um, you know, sy- a systematic... Uh, uh, voting, uh, voter suppression, um, things that go on in our community, um, because I was a part of my community at one point and seeing the things that was going on. And I know that, you know, what's going on still, because I have a, a group of uh, 300 plus kids at my school that's going through the same thing and they need a, a voice. Um, um, and I'm their voice. I'm their voice. And I use my platform to continue to shed light on everything that may be going on, not only in my community, but around the, uh, you know, this country and around the world. So, mm, okay. um, you know, if, if, if there's no reason, uh, well, not I won't say no reason, but there's no way uh, I will ever just stick to sports because I understand how um, right, very inspiring. You know, how okay, shut up, LeBron. How powerful my voice is. Uh, I think the most telling thing there, possibly, first of all, if LeBron James is your voice, then you're in trouble. You need to get a better voice. I, I, I feel for anyone who relies on LeBron James to be their voice, but I think the most telling thing is you said. Um, he refers to, uh, he says, my, my commu- I was a part of my community at one point. So it's something like that. I was, I was a, you know, my community that I was a part of at one point. Like in the past tense. Where he's admitting, he's like, he's not really a part of this community anymore. Like whatever community he's pretending to speak for, he's not a part of that. He's, he's, he's LeBron James. He's living in his mansion. Making decrees. And we know he's not a part of any of these communities that he allegedly is speaking for. Uh, because that's why he had no problem all through the summer throwing, you know, throwing the proverbial gasoline onto the fire and encouraging the rioting. Didn't matter to him. He's, he's in a, in a mansion behind a wall, lots of security, armed security and everything else. And so he could sit there from that comfortable position and say, yeah, oh yeah, continue, continue, uh, rioting. Makes no difference to him. He's not a part of the community as he just acknowledged. But of course, 
everything he's saying there about he speaks out about injustice and if there's any injustice that he, he sees, he's going to say something about it. Uh, you need the big, right, the big asterisk. And it's, it's, yeah, injustice that doesn't happen in China. That's the really huge, that's that big, that's, that's one huge blind spot. Still not going to talk about that. But sure, he's going to look for um, alleged injustices here. And most of the injustices that he's looking, that he's, that he's calling out here are not really injustices at all. All right, let's go to read the comments now. This is first from username Aaron the Antagonist says, Matt, could you please comment on Google removing the egg from the salad emoji in order to be more inclusive to vegans? I think we're living in the stupidest point in human history. Yeah, I hadn't heard about that. I looked it up and that did happen. Now, it happened back in 2018, apparently. So we're about three years behind the times, but there was a point. So if you're a vegan and you use the salad emoji, maybe, maybe you, you probably would take, take this for, for granted. You didn't, you didn't realize, but there was a time when, you know, as a vegan, you couldn't use a salad emoji because there was an egg in the fake salad. And so think about that luxury that you have now as a vegan using emojis. Your ancestors, they didn't have that. They didn't have that luxury. Uh, Roger Riggins says, everyone is looking for a Rush Limbaugh replacement. Here it is. I can only assume you're speaking about me because this was a comment under my video. But uh, what I can tell you is that I, I am not, I don't think anyone is a Rush Limbaugh replacement. He's the kind of guy, you, you don't really replace him. There's not going to be a second Rush Limbaugh. Um, if there is a Rush Limbaugh replacement, I'm not that guy. To go on the radio, he was on the radio every day for three hours for, what, like 30 or 40 years. Um, to do that every day for decades, for three hours, and to be interesting and entertaining the whole time, that takes... I, I, I think people don't fully appreciate the level of skill that's required to do that. In fact, I hear from people all the time who say that... Um, even, you know, my, I'm, I'm only on here for 45 minutes or something, but people will say, oh, well, I love to talk. I could do, you know, I could do a radio show. I could do, no, it's got nothing to do with that. Just because, yeah, you, you might love to talk. That doesn't mean people are going to love to listen to you. And what I found generally, the, the people who do the most talking normally in life have, have the least to say. So it takes a lot of skill. I don't have that skill. Uh, so I'm not going to be the Rush Limbaugh replacement. I don't know who it is. I don't think anybody's going to be the replacement. Um, Nate Shell says, I too wept at Matt's touching anecdote about, anecdote about the uh, revelation that Potato Head was free and the devastating aftermath that it was not. Wept from laughing so hard. Guess I'm also canceled and banned from listening ever again. Well, of course you are, Nate, that you would take my pain. You know, that story that I shared about, about me and my daughter and our reaction to the news that Potato Head was gender neutral, our joy and elation, and then the, the crippling despair that followed when we found out that actually he's not going to be gender neutral anymore. As, as, we, as we went on this emotional roller coaster, as Hasbro took us on this emotional roller coaster throughout the day, that story that I shared was, was deeply personal. Um, I, don't, I don't like to get that personal on this show. But for you to laugh at me and my family and our pain and our joy that way is it, it truly unconscionable. So of course you are banned. Um, and Matthew Phoebus says, I love that you're referring to him as a him, which he is. 
I'm not even, for, I, I can't remember exactly who you're referring to that I was referring to, but yes, I always use the correct pronouns. Um, this, this is my policy. It's, it's really basic. You know, you can have whatever name you want, whatever name you select for yourself, I will call you. I mean, probably within reason. If you, if, if you, you know, if you come, come up to me every day with a new name, then at a certain point, I'm going to have to draw a line. But um, generally speaking, within reason, Whatever name you want, I will respect that and call you a name. Because the names are are, are social constructs and, and it, you know, anyone can take any name. Um, but a pronoun is, it, it, when you use a pronoun, you are conveying something about the reality of the world. And so when you use the word he, you are conveying, you are saying that the person you're referring to is a male. That's what that means when you say he. And so I'm only going to use that for males. Because I'm not going to lie. To use any other pronoun would be a lie. It would be a deception. It would be a falsehood. You know, at the, at the best, you're, you're confusing people. At the worst, you're lying to them. When in reality, I think it's both. And so I think that should be our policy. It's not about, you know, you're not trying to be impolite. You're not trying to hurt anyone's feelings. You're just not going to lie. And if someone comes up to you and asks that you lie, tries to force you to lie wants to require you to lie, well, that's their fault. That's their fault for putting you in a position where you have to tell them no. And if that hurts their feelings, well, they shouldn't have asked you to do it. A lot of the events of the last year have really put into perspective the need to be ready for emergencies. You know, they've they've made it clear that you never know what, what might happen, and when something happens, you want to be prepared for it. And that's what ReadyWise is all about. ReadyWise is the leader in emergency food supplies. They've got emergency meals. They've got freeze-dried fruits and vegetables for convenient on-the-go nutrition. We've also got new adventure meals for hiking, camping, and other outdoor activities. So as we get into the warm weather, if you like to go out hiking, camping, all that kind of stuff, then um, you got to try the adventure meals, which are very delicious as well. ReadyWise makes being prepared simple and affordable. You can order online and have nutritious meals shipped directly to your doorstep. ReadyWise products are proudly made right here in the USA. And uh, they make it really easy and affordable to be prepared. You can order online, have nutritious meals shipped directly to your doorstep. When preparing our meals, all you need is four cups of water. Water doesn't even have to be hot. All you got to do is just pour it in, uh, put it in a pouch. After about 15 minutes, the meal is ready, and it's as simple as that. Some meals can even be prepared directly in the pouch, eliminating the need for additional supplies. ReadyWise uses the finest ingredients, so you're not sacrificing taste uh, for the sake of the convenience and all of that. You're getting all that together. With a 99% satisfaction rate and millions of products sold, ReadyWise has quickly become the leader in emergency preparedness. And you can find out why. All you got to do is go to readywise.com. This week, my listeners can get 10% off at readywise.com when entering Walsh at checkout or by calling 855-475-3089. ReadyWise is a 30-day, no questions asked return policy, so there's no risk in taking the initiative to get you and your family prepared today. That's ReadyWise, R-E-A-D-Y-W-I-S-E.com. Promo code Walsh to get 10% off today. And, you know, there are so many crazy leftist theories and in some cases outright lies um, that need to be called out for what they are. And that's exactly what Ben Shapiro does in the Daily Wire's new show, Debunked. Every Friday, Ben exposes popular fallacies purported by left-wing activists and politicians. In the first episode, which is now available to Daily Wire members, Ben debunks the myth of the minimum wage. So that's very timely. Um, and if you want to know, if you want to, if you want to find out about this, find out about the leftist lies and find out quickly in 15 minutes or less, then this is the place to go. Debunked is available exclusively to Daily Wire members. 
So go to dailywire.com slash subscribe. Use code debunk to get 25% off your new membership and stay tuned for this Friday's episode where Ben will break down unions. Um, another one that you need to watch. That's code debunked for 25% off at dailywire.com. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. So today we're going to cancel the Golden Globes. Obviously, all Hollywood award shows are automatically canceled every year without exception, just on principle. It's hard to understand why anybody would actually sit down for six hours to watch a bunch of wealthy drug addicts pat themselves on the back. But some people do, 12 or 13 people to be exact, according to the latest viewership estimates. And that's why, you know, I, I, I watched a few of the clips from the Golden Globes, um, some of the moments that had people online talking to, just to see if I was missing something. Maybe it's not so bad as I assume. So here's one. I'm, I'm told by outlets like the Daily Beast that this was a hilarious and cutting moment from Sasha Baron Cohen as he accepted an award for Borat 2. I'm not sure what the award was for exactly. Maybe he won for, I don't know, best movie to be released in 2020 about a guy named Borat. If that was it, then he surely was a deserving winner. I can't think of any other award that he would actually deserve. But in any case, this was the moment that the media tells me was especially edgy and brilliant. The Daily Beast describes it. They say, um, thank you to the all-white Hollywood foreign press, Sasha, Bo- Sasha Baron Cohen said, accepting the Golden Globe Award for Best Comedy or Musical Film Sunday Night. Oh, that was the award. Okay. It's, I guess, w- were there no other comedies or musical films to come out in 2020? I, I didn't watch a lot of movies in 2020, I have to tell you. Was that, was that the, were there no other options? Anyway, the Daily Beast says, his speech only got more scathing from there. Now, quoting from Baron. I've got to say, this movie could not have been possible without my co-star, a fresh new talent who came from nowhere and turned out to be a comedy genius. The Borat subsequent movie film star said, I'm talking about Rudy Giuliani. I mean, who could get more laughs from one unzipping? Incredible. Our movie was just the beginning for him. Baron Cohen continued, Rudy went on to star in a string of comedy films, hits like Four Seasons Landscaping, Hair Die Another Day, and the courtroom drama A Very Public Fart. Yes, a very public fart. That, and by all appearances, that was the comedic high water mark of the event. It didn't get any better than that. For example, there was a, apparently a bit where Kenan Thompson pretended to speak French while Maya Rudolph pretended to translate. That was the bit. Now keep in mind, a, a team of writers and producers had to approve that bit. They all, dozens perhaps and all, had to hear about the bit or read the script and say, sure, yeah, let, let's put that on air. It's sort of amazing when you think about it like that. And the same can be said about the opening monologue from Tina Fey and Amy Poehler, two women who have, through their careers, done an admirable job of proving Christopher Hitchens right. Um, If you don't know what I'm referring to, just Google it. Now, I was going to play some of the monologue, but I decided not to because I I respect you too much to waste your time like that. Actually, the real reason is that our show will get blocked on YouTube for copyright infringement if I play it. So instead, I'll let USA Today describe the supposedly hilarious, quote, no-holds-barred monologue. They say, Polar and Tina Fey opened up the 78th annual Hunger Games Golden Globes Sunday with a, I guess that was supposed to be a joke, Hunger Games. Timely reference, that one. Uh, With a timely monologue that highlighted the importance of inclusivity following reports that the Hollywood Foreign Press Association has no black voting members. Polar said, everybody is understandably upset that the HFPA and their choices, at the HFPA and their choices, Yes, everybody's upset. Isn't, isn't everyone? Everyone's talking about the fact that the HFPA doesn't have any black members, right? 
Uh, and then she goes, look, a lot of flashy garbage got nominated, but that happens. That's like their thing. But a number of black actors and black-led projects were overlooked. Although Faye acknowledged that award shows are stupid, the host declared that even with stupid things, inclusivity is important. There are no black members of the Hollywood Foreign Press, said Faye, who appeared from New York. I realize, HFPA, maybe you guys didn't get the memo because your, your, your workplace is the back booth of a French McDonald's, but you've got to change that. So here's to changing it. Ah, uh, yes, it's an outrage that some black-led films weren't nominated. Of course, I assume there were probably hundreds of white-led films also not nominated. I mean, you can't nominate every film that was released in a calendar year, can you? That would sort of defeat the purpose of an award show. But maybe that's where this is headed. Literally every film starring or directed by a black person must receive not only a nomination, but some kind of award. You can make up the award if you need to. It'll be like when my fifth grade teacher uh, at the end of the year gave out end of year awards. And uh, I'm not making this up. I got the award for best green t-shirt because I happened to be wearing a green t-shirt that day. Now, in fairness to my teacher, I was a thoroughly unimpressive child. So she did her best to find something worth celebrating. And that's what award shows will have to become because otherwise, you know, it's always going to be an outrage, always a controversy. Whenever there's any film starring or directed by a black person that is not recognized, uh, it's going to be an outrage because inclusivity is important. I mean, I would say that exclusivity is the whole point of an award show. But I guess I'm the crazy one. After all, it's a big problem that there are no black members of the Hollywood foreign press. Everyone's talking about it. At least we're informed that it's a big problem. We're informed this every year. Though I still have no idea what the Hollywood Foreign Press is, and even less of an idea why I should give the slightest damn about its racial configuration. And it's even less clear to me how any of this counts as comedy. These are supposed to be comedians doing an opening comedy bit, and this is what they come up with. Now, the Golden Globes don't matter, of course, but the utter unfunniness here is a symptom of a larger problem. And I think it's kind of a significant problem, in my view, culturally speaking. Comedy and films, shows, late night TV, stand-up comedy, it's all on the verge of extinction. And the reason is that, broadly speaking, it's just not possible to be woke, socially conscious, politically correct, and funny. And it's not possible to be woke, socially conscious, politically correct, and funny because comedy is supposed to derive either from observations and insights about, the, about human nature and the human condition or from clever mockery of the cultural and institutional powers that be. Now, there are other forms of comedy, I suppose, like slapstick comedy. It's always going to be funny when a guy falls down the steps or whatever. But the best and funniest comedy will fall into one, of the, one or both of the categories just described. It's, it's saying something about human nature and the human condition and or it's wittily mocking the powers that be. The problem is that leftists generally have a poor understanding of the human condition, so they can't make any funny jokes about it. And even if they do understand it, most of the funny things you can say about the human condition will be considered politically incorrect these days. In fact, modern leftism is born from a denial of human nature. And how can you say anything funny about a thing that you don't understand or refuse to understand? As for mocking the powers that be, sure, you know, they'll make fun of the president whenever there's a Republican in office, but they won't go after the true societal sacred cows. For example, Black Lives Matter, enormously rich, powerful, influential group. It's absolutely ripe for mockery. But most of the people responsible for producing comedy these days won't touch that subject with a 10-foot pole, except to deliver earnest sermons on BLM's behalf. And now that we have a, a Democrat president, the comedy makers won't make comedy about the cultural or political powers. 
rendering them even more useless than they already were. What all this means is that if you want comedy, you can't turn to professional comedians for it anymore. You'll have to do all of that, all of your laughing and mockery in the privacy of your own homes until they make that illegal too, which they might. But in the meantime, the Golden Globes are certainly canceled. And that'll do it for us today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodosky. The show is edited by Danny D'Amico. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is done by Nika Geneva. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Today on The Ben Shapiro Show, Andrew Cuomo runs into the Me Too buzzsaw. Trump returns at CPAC, and the next Superman reboot will be written by a guy who thinks America is basically racist. Give it a listen. Mm-hmm. 